again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The Mr. Big Stuff, who do you think you are? Edition, as we go one-on-one with the Bengals' biggest free agent acquisition of the offseason, both in terms of his physique and his contract, defensive tackle DJ Reader. Plus, offensive coordinator Brian Callahan gives us a Joe Burrow update after the quarterback's first few days in the NFL. And then is roughly 30 minutes of solid gold from my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since magic for humans. I love magic, and my 14-year-old son and I have recently started watching the show Magic for Humans on Netflix. It features a magician and comedian named Justin Willman as he performs magic tricks for people on the street, and it's amazing. Each episode is only 20 to 25 minutes long, and there are some short segments on YouTube if you want a sneak peek. So, check out Magic for Humans. You won't be disappointed. Now, let's get to football. I probably don't have to tell you that the Bengals were last in the NFL at stopping the run last year, giving up nearly 150 rushing yards per game. In the immortal words of Mad Men's Pete Campbell, Not great, Bob! Now let's take a look at this year's schedule. It includes NFL rushing leader Derrick Henry, two games against the league's second leading rusher, Nick Chubb, two games against Lamar Jackson, two games against Mark Ingram, plus games against Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette, Marlon Mack, and Saquon Barkley. You know what those eight guys have in common? They all ran for more than 1,000 yards last year. When you take all of that into consideration, it's easy to see why the Bengals made free agent DJ Reader the highest-paid nose tackle in the NFL when they signed him to a four-year, $53 million deal. According to the website Pro Football Focus, of all the interior defensive linemen in the NFL last year who were on the field for at least 50% of their team's defensive snaps, Reader ranked number four in the league at defending the run behind Calais Campbell, Cam Hayward, and Aaron Donald. That's like being the fourth member of the Beatles. He's Ringo. Reader is 6'3", slimmed down to about 325 pounds, and just turned 26 a month ago. I spoke to Mr. Big Stuff this week. DJ, I want to start with something I bet a lot of Bengals fans don't even know yet. Back in 2013... There was one two-sport athlete on the Clemson football team. It wasn't Sammy Watkins. It wasn't Shaq Lawson. It was D.J. Reeder, defensive tackle on the football team, first baseman and potential pitcher on the baseball team. It sounds like you were quite the all-around athlete coming up. Yes, sir. I played a lot of sports growing up. Um, Was homeschooled since sixth grade, so I spent a lot of time outside. A lot of time. And a basketball player as well, right? Yeah, in high school, you know, just my parents real competitive. My mom played college softball, got a bunch of cousins that played sports in college. So most of them females, but they're just really competitive. And dad taught me a lot of just about ball. He's my rec ball coach and things like that. So, you know, I always just was around sports my whole life. What did you hit on the radar gun as a pitcher? Uh, I think I 
probably like 95. <laughs> highest overhead. Probably sat around like 90, 91. Into high school, like towards my senior year. So I was slinging pretty good. I'm trying to picture how intimidating it must have been to have a man your size throwing that hard to high school kids. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think um, I retweeted a picture somebody had tweeted out uh, uh, the other day on my Twitter about his um, mother. My child was talking about my son, just me. It was me at 13 throwing a fastball and in Cooperstown, New York. It was kind of crazy just to look back and see it. Just the picture, the pitch, just like how you know how big I did look compared to other kids. I you know I just just being me, I never really noticed how big I looked towards <laughs> other kids. I had a really big team at that time, so I just didn't ever think about it. So you played in some sort of youth tournament in Cooperstown? Yes, yeah, sir. It was a twelve and under tournament they usually play in Cooperstown. It's about ninety six teams. It's always a good time. The kids get to stay in the beers and things like that. So it's a fun little. Event, learn a lot about the history of baseball. Go down to the Hall of Fame. That's dope. That's cool. Uh, DJ, I'm going to hit you with one more baseball reference. This okay. week, defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo was asked about you, and he said, We hit a home run as an organization. Can you sense how thrilled your new coaches and teammates are that you signed here? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, and it's different for me, you know, I'm a real reserved guy, honestly, just try to come in and fit in and be one of the guys, so it's, it's always just been, I mean, it's always been that, you know, I never really had, like, a lot of hype around me growing up, being a kid who was a three-star recruit, not really sure if I was going to play baseball or football or what in college, and, you know, fifth-round pick, nothing really kind of went the way I was expecting, and then this is kind of, it's different, it's definitely different, but, you know, just trying to stay within myself and I, I like Coach Lou, love the system that we're in, so I'm excited. We're chatting with DJ Reader. Your coaches and teammates in Houston obviously knew how good you were. J.J. Watt publicly said you were the best nose tackle in the NFL. But now that you have signed as a free agent with the Bengals and became the highest paid nose tackle in the league, do you think that validates just how good you are? Uh, I don't know. I think i got to go out there and still prove it, man. You know, you got to stay hungry. Um, I think it's it's also it's nice to see that people uh, think that you're that good and you know they reward you for it. But you, know, you got to go out there and prove it. Now that I got this deal, I got to go out there and prove it again and go out there every year and feel. I mean, I feel like I'm the best nose tackle in the league, but you know I got to go out there and prove it. I can say that all I want to in my head, but I got to go prove that every day, day in and day out. DJ, you have been part of really good teams. You spent four years in Houston. You won the division title three out of the four. You played for a national championship your last year at Clemson. Did anybody close to you question your decision to join a team coming off a 2-14 and season? Oh, no. Um, I talked to my mom about it. My mom's really big in her faith. We, that's that's kind of how I grew up in the church. My mom told me, you know, that she, she, her big thing was, you know, as a man, you don't get to go a lot of places a lot of times and leave your mark on the place. And that's what, like she was like, that's what you have to do. You know, you have to be ready to step up as a leader. What they're looking at you as, go in there and be that. She said, God's calling you for a reason. So I, I was super happy, you know, to hear that from my mom and her never question my decision. And her sit there and pray with me while I was getting ready to make that decision. If anybody knows me, you know, that's that's who I lean on the most. So I was, I've, I've had to back in for my family. You know, they were just excited. Do you take it as a personal challenge to try to be part of a huge turnaround? 
think there's a lot of guys that we got on this team in the room and things like that just that are really good. And I don't think the record shows, like, last year's record especially shows, like, what was exactly going on with the team. I think, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into having a season like that. And, you know, um, I've been a part of a 4-12 and season. We've also won the division three out of four times. So it's just that's how the league goes sometimes and, you know so it's, uh, it's about building a consistently good team I think that's what we're on the way to doing DJ is getting Pro Bowl recognition in the near future a big deal to you it used to be not now um, I think I kind of fed myself up with that whole ordeal I realized that you know people vote for their friends and not for really who they feel like should be in there so you know I don't I don't really care anymore I'm just trying to go out there and play man wins will always trump pro bowls and things like that over me defensive line coach Nick Eason said the Bengals plan to give you a bigger role than the one you had in Houston how would you like to be used however they see fit man however they want to use me I can do it I'll figure it out um never had a problem figuring things out before uh I'm just excited, man, to go out there and play football. I spent all spring and summer just trying to be in the best shape of my life to go out to get out, get ready to go out there and play the game that I love. I've been playing since I was a kid. You know, it's, it's a child's game, and I enjoy it. Uh, so that's really what it is. Uh, it's nothing, nothing crazy. I'm excited to see what they have in store, and so far everything's been going well. Well, speaking of being in great shape, you're 20 pounds lighter than you were. Why and how did you drop that weight? Oh, just being consistent in your diet and work and, you know, just wanting to be better, uh, in better shape, being able to play more if I had to. All those things factored in, you know, just wanting to be a better player and better overall. So, you know, I felt like if I lost that weight and just stay stay strong, kept my strength, and I could be the best player and I wanted like the best player that I've been so far. You know, just getting older and understanding that. I need to maximize this opportunity that I have in this window to play in the NFL, and I want to do it to the best of my ability. What unhealthy food that you love is now off limits? Cereal. I'm a big cereal guy. Not that good, healthy stuff. No, <laughs> I'm a kickoff. Captain Crunch, Fruity Pebbles, Fruit Loops, uh, Reese's Puffs, all types of cereal and milk. So I am. I have stopped on the cereal train. And I'm a big fan of, like, grits. And anybody who tries to tell you oatmeal and grits are similar, they're not. Um, (laughs) So that type of stuff. And then I'm from the south, from Greensboro. And there's this thing we do, we eat called liver pudding. And that's kind of like my cheat meal. And I don't really, you probably don't want to hear on air what liver pudding is, but you can kind (laughs) of take your guess. Um, But, you know, so that's. Those are really my vices, honestly. As, as far as unhealthy foods, like those are my vices. Like I, and on Thanksgiving, I eat chitlins, which is also probably not the best thing to be doing. I will admit that sugary cereal sounds better than liver pudding. It is subjective. <laughs> <laughs> I am definitely going to take your word for it on that one. <laughs> Uh, DJ, you agreed to the contract, but couldn't come here right away. Now you're here. What is, what's it like for you to get to town and finally get to enter the facility? Uh, you know, it's good. Um, glad to just be able to go in the facility and go to work, man. Uh, you know, it's it's a long time with all the things that are going on in the world. And, you know, praying for everybody to be safe and 
stay happy during this pandemic. It's been crazy. And then all the other things that are going on, you know, with trying to change the world and, you know, just understand that the innocent lives are being lost every day. So it was just, I mean, it gave me time to be, sit back and reflect on a lot of stuff that was going on. And I'm thankful for that. I got a lot, spent a lot of time around my son, you know, becoming a father and just being able to get that time around my son was a blessing. You know, I'm just glad to be here. Uh, still trying to stay safe. You know, we're not in the clear yet with all the things that are going on. So, you know, just trying to stay safe and just, the people are nice. That's the biggest thing. I have, I've noticed that people are very, very nice here, and that's been that's been awesome. So, um, just getting to a new place, you know, it's always different moving from some places you've been four years and then coming to a new place. So, I'm just trying to still figure out my way around here. You haven't been around your new teammates for very long, but what are your early impressions of Gino and Carlos and Sam Hubbard and Carl Lawson? Uh, guys who have just done it well for a long time, especially you know, Gino and Carlos. They've done it just at the highest level for a long time. Uh, I think <laughs> Carlos said the other day, he said I'm in 11th grade. <laughs> so it's just <laughs> funny, you know, to think about that many years just playing ball. And, um, you know, it's just it's a blessing to be around those guys and just to feed off the energy and the different intricate parts they know about the game. And then, you know, you got the young guys with Carl and Sam who in their right have played a lot of good ball in the last couple of years and still learning and being able to be here and watch them hit their stride as I'm starting to hit my stride is going to be an awesome thing. A few more questions for DJ Reader. You're a Clemson guy. I'm sure you follow the team closely. What was your yes, reaction? Sir. Yeah. What was your reaction to the selection of T Higgins in the second round? I was super excited. You know, um, I watched T play at Clemson. Uh, I just knew what kind of receiver he was. Uh, just a very good player, especially, like, the way they used him at Clemson. So I knew he was a kid who played multiple sports also in high school, so he's very athletic and just understands the game. He's humble. Like, he's not a – I've never seen him get out of character. Anybody say anything crazy about him. He's a very humble kid. And, you know, he's just – shows up with that smile and works uh, he's, <laughs> um, he's, a, he's a good player and you know was, I was excited to have him we learned on the NFL network when you were on recently that your nickname going back to your college days is barbecue <laughs> have your Bengals yes, teammates picked up on that nah not yet I don't know if anybody ever will um, maybe but nah not yet nobody nobody's picked up on it that, you, know, you don't hear it too often that's why you know when I when I hear it, I know you know me. Like it's not, it's not a doubt in my mind that you either know somebody that really, really knows me, or you know me yourself. And I'll always turn every time I hear it. Geno Atkins was a fourth-round draft pick, and has turned out to be one of the best defensive players in the NFL. You were a yes, fifth, sir. you were a fifth-round draft pick. Does that still tick you off? Oh yeah, I carry a chip on my shoulder about that every day. Um, you know, there's plenty of people who got picked before me. I didn't feel like were better than me. Um, I don't get salty about it. I just put my head down at work. But uh, yeah, there's. I mean, there's plenty of things I could be pissed off about. Like just from the respect point of what I get in, in the league now. Um, so, I, you know, that's just one of them. You know, everybody has their little thing they carry with them. That's a chip for them. And so that's really one of the biggest chips that I carry. Is just that a lot of people passed on me. Whatever reason that was that they did, I just I knew that I didn't want. To, I wanted to make sure everybody knew they couldn't pass on me again. Just so I wanted to go out there and play and prove it every day. Do you have any short-term goals for this year? Personally, uh, just go 
just win. Uh, that's the biggest thing. Just win. And no matter how it comes down, just scratching a claw on the win, straining the win games. You know, go out there and know that the game is what it is. It's always been the same. You're going to have to fight to win every single time. Just instill that in people and everybody getting that. You know, you got to go out there and fight your ass off to win the game. And that's like, that's probably my biggest thing. You know, you got to go out there every Sunday and feel like you're the baddest guys on the field. And, of course, other teams got to feel like that, too. But you got to impose your will on them. And that's how you got to go about it. That is music to the ears of Bengals fans. That is exactly what that's, folks are craving. And uh, we are yeah, so we excited gotta, that you're part of the team. Yes, sir. You're not going out there to play the sport that way. You're not playing it the right way. DJ, I appreciate your time. Stay safe. Look forward to watching you at practice in the weeks to come. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. In addition to getting a great player, the Bengals are getting a team leader. Reader was the Houston Texans nominee for the Walter Payton NFL Man of the Year Award in 2019. This week, NFL teams began what the league calls Phase 1 of training camp, consisting of meetings, conditioning workouts, and daily walkthroughs. That means most of the Bengals got their first look at Joe Burrow as he called out plays and made adjustments during those walkthroughs. Here's offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. Uh, I think a lot of guys had some, made some comments the other day about him, and he's just got a great feel for, for what we're trying to do. Um, his offseason work was outstanding. He worked really hard. Uh, I think that part gets skipped over a little bit. Um, he, he's, he's such an intense worker that he's put himself in position to, to know what to do and how to do it. And I think that that's that's rubbed off on his teammates, um, and and obviously his presentation and um, how he goes about his business has has been everything we thought it would be. What does a rookie quarterback miss not having a preseason game? Uh, getting hit for the first time. That's usually that's usually a big part of it. Um, you know, all quarterbacks kind of have those they got a little bit a little jitters. They don't get touched very often in practice. They don't feel a live rush, uh, and especially for a kid that hasn't played NFL football, a rookie quarterback generally. Uh, that first time that rush comes live at you at full speed is a little bit different than college. Now, he was playing against great players in the SEC. It's, it's, that's as close as you're going to ever get probably to NFL speed and tempo. But that first, that first pass rush, that first hit, that first time they get jolted around uh, kind of reminds them that it's time to play football again. So you'd like that to happen, obviously, before the opener. Um, but that we, don't, we don't get that this year. So uh, that's one thing. The other thing is going to be just the just, – being on the field in the huddle on your own, you know, every practice guys are kind of behind and coaches are there and interacting and um, just, and then dealing with the game situations as they come up, dealing with the clock, the play clock. Um, there's a lot of just operational things that come into play that, that we're not going to get a chance to do in a live situation. And we can simulate those things. Um, but it's always different when you, when you walk out there uh, and it's just the 11 guys on the other 11 guys and, and you're playing football for real. So, uh, I think he'll be fine, but I know there's there's a part of there's some things that you're going to miss without having the preseason games. Just getting the getting the jitters out, if you will, um, from from that starting aspect for a, for a, a young player. Brian, Joe Burrow has generated so much excitement that people see a still photograph of him and they're they're frothing at the mouth around here. How is he handling that? And is there a lot of good-natured ribbing going on with his teammates and coaches about? the spotlight that's being shown on him right now. Yeah. I mean, it's not anything, anything out of the ordinary. I don't think, um, you know, he's, I think he's used to it too. You know, his spotlight at LSU last year was, was pretty bright uh, to the point where he, he probably didn't 
go out much of the, in, in Baton Rouge without uh, a lot of people all over him. You know, he, he, he was a, he became a celebrity down there and then he became really a celebrity across the country. So I don't think it's new to him. I think he handles it just like he handles everything else. Uh, he, he handles things with, with poise and confidence and, and, you know, knows how to be gracious and knows how to, how to um, respond to, to, to people that are in his corner and cheering for him and excited for him. So I think it's great for the city of Cincinnati and the fans of the Bengals. I know we're just as excited as they are. So um, that's great. You know, I, unfortunately, I don't know if we're going to get to have everybody in the stadium to cheer them on, but um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, it makes me excited that everybody else is excited on top of it. We'll see Joe Burrow in a Bengals helmet on Wednesday. Woohoo! When phase two of practice begins and then padded practices can get underway on Monday, August 17th, roughly four weeks before the season opener against the Chargers. Before we get to our next conversation, here's a quick reminder that you can take your Bengals pride to the next level in 2020 with an official Bengals fan package from Prime Sport. Now here's this week's visit with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. All right, Lap, let's start with trying to play under these circumstances. If you were still an active player, would you be comfortable playing in a pandemic? You know, I, I would have uh, talked it over with my wife first and foremost, um, because, you know, when I was 25 years old, I was already, you know, married with two kids. So we started our family pretty young. So it would have been an interesting decision. But having talked it over with Lynn, asking her that very question, what would, uh, what would you think about, you know, playing through this pandemic? And her response was, I know you would want to play. I know you'd be smart. I know you'd be as safe as you can be. So, you know, why not play? And that would be my, that my reaction, obviously. I know as a, back in the day, I'd want to play under any circumstances I possibly could. And I'd, I'd make sure that the team obviously did everything they possibly could to, to uh, from a protocol standpoint, to make it as safe as possible. And I do think it's interesting, the guys that have opted out, all I can hope is those guys that have decided to opt out. And I can understand why, but boy, Pressure's on. I, if I opted out, I'd have to live the life of a monk. I'd go nowhere. Because if I went somewhere and got COVID after opting out for my NFL season, I'd never forgive myself. You know, and now I'd be endangering the family, all the things, the reason I opted out. So, man, I'd put myself under lock and key. Literally, I would be a monk. I would not go anywhere, do anything. If I, that, that'd be a heavy, heavy decision to make. And that would be a tough lifestyle to live. So I probably would play and, uh, and, and trust that the team is doing everything possibly can at Paul Brown Stadium and surrounding practice fields and everything to keep everybody safe. And then it's on me. It's on me when I'm away from the stadium to do the right thing. Just like it's on these guys opting out, they have more time to wander and do other things. And I'm telling you, uh, it, it, it'd be interesting to, to monitor the 66 guys or however many it is that have opted out and see how many of them do end up getting coronavirus testing positive. It'd be very interesting. That is a tremendous call because if and when one of those guys tests positive, the abuse that oh. he's going to suffer is going oh. to be unbelievable. No doubt. No doubt. Right. Let's look ahead to training camp a little bit. Obviously, they've started with strength and conditioning and some walkthroughs, but nothing really juicy yet. Uh, right. That's still about a week away. Uh, but as I said the last time we did a podcast, I thought uh, – the next time we got together, we would look ahead to some training camp battles. So what training camp battle are you most looking forward to watching? 
Well, I've already talked about, you know, the, the O-line, I guess probably a nauseam being a former O-line, but I've done that. But I, I am very interested in the linebacker, you know, position. I, 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 I want to see how these young linebackers come along, how quickly they can come along. I think Josh Bynes' role in listening to Lou Anaruma the other day at the presser was his role is to be the example uh, that the young guys aspire to be, the locker room leader, um, the guy that uh, wasn't drafted coming out of college, made a football team, you know, went, went to the Super Bowl, all, all the things that go along with it, uh, high-level performer, overachiever kind of thing. Watch how he prepares. Watch how he trains. Watch how he eats. Watch how he does everything. And, and not to say that he's not going to play initially. He may have to be – he may be giving them some significant snaps, but I'm very interested to see how quickly, you know, Logan Wilson um, – Akeem Davis Gator, how, how quickly can they work their way in to those sub packages and, and make significant snaps? Because as we know, Dan, the linebackers get isolated and uh, they get, they get, you know, people spread the field, put them in one-on-ones and it was a, it was a tough, tough dynamic. So I think, uh, I think that position group is, is the one where I'm going to be watching how the battles unfold and, uh, you know, see how Pratt advances in, in year two all the things that go along with that position group. I'm very, very intrigued by it. I am all about right tackle. Yep. Ken Fred Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Ken Fred Johnson beat out Bobby Hart. I do th agree when the coaches say Bobby Hart's not as bad as everybody thinks. I, I don't think he's the worst tackle, worst right tackle in the National Football League, but I do think we've seen enough of him at this point to know that he's not among the best and is never going to be among the best. What kind of upside does Fred Johnson have? If you look at the pro football focus rankings from last year, and I know that's uh, not the, the be-all, end-all, he would have been several spots ahead of Bobby Hart in a limited sample size. So can he elevate that position from what you know you're going to get at this point out of Bobby Hart? The thing that I think Fred has to do, Dan, is physically, I think they feel good about Fred. You know, 6'8", long, long arms, the whole nine yards. Bobby Hart is fairly long, too. He's got some long arms on him. The, the thing that, that he has to show is Bobby's had problems with penalties. And, and now he, Fred has to show that his poise, composure, those kind of things. And if he shows that he's, he handles that a little bit better than Bobby has handled it historically, that could give him a little bit of an edge. The other thing is Bobby Hart, his football IQ and overall, overall IQ has been praised by Coach Turner, praised by a very, very intelligent guy in Trey Hopkins. So you know the dude is smart. Coaches and teammates trust and like smart players. So Bobby Hart is not going to make assignment errors. Fred Johnson can't make assignment errors. That I think if he if he shows that mentally he can handle it in terms of you know not making uh, penalty mistakes and mental mistakes in terms of your assignment, I think those are things that you're going to be looking for because it was such a small sample size over time. How does that pan out between those two guys? All right, is there a lesser known newcomer that you are eager to watch? We're all excited to watch Joe Burrow and some of the high-profile free agents that they signed, but is there a lesser-known guy that you're eager to get your eyes on? You know, again, in uh, listening to Lou Anarumo during his uh, presser, and I asked him about are the cornerbacks or, or Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander, are they as advertised? He goes, yeah, yeah, but don't sleep on 
Winston Rose, who led the Canadian Football League in interceptions. Don't sleep, sleep on LaShawn Sims, who's played a lot of good snaps for the Tennessee Titans, significant snaps. And not only will they give depth to that, you know, back end of the defense, it'll increase the production and performance, hopefully, for Darren Simmons on special teams as well. So I don't think people are even thinking about those guys. And they could, you know, play a significant role. How significant a role? It all depends on injury and everything else that goes along with it. But it sounds like Lou Anarumo is very satisfied with them. He's like, they're long, they're athletic. You know, I like them. So for him to come right out in the very first presser and mention those guys made me sit up and take notice. He must have really liked the tape that he saw those guys before they signed him. Yeah, I'm with you on Winston Rose. They signed a two-year – he signed a two-year deal in January, so this is not necessarily a just, you know, show up and, and see if you can sneak on to the back end right. of the roster kind of guy. Maybe he's somebody who's ready to make the jump from the CFL to the NFL. As you mentioned, led the CFL in picks with nine, part of a Grey Cup championship team last year with Winnipeg, the starting quarterback of that team in the Grey Cup was former UC quarterback Zach Kalaris. So I'll have to reach out to him and see if he yeah. can give me some intel on Winston Rose. The other person that I'm going to put on the list, and it, it, it really shouldn't count because I asked you for a newcomer that you were eager to see, but a guy that I'm really uh, interested to, to watch even more closely going into this year is Darius Phillips, yep. just based on how well he did in such a tiny sample size. Yep. 75 snaps in pass coverage, four interceptions, Unreal. three pass break breakups. That's amazing. I mean, that, that is productivity. That is a nose for the football. That is ball skills. When you have an opportunity to make a play on a football, you're making a play on a football. And, and let's face it, you know, how many times have we seen guys, great coverage and great position, oh, can't make a play. I mean, the bottom line is you got to make plays. And Darius Phillips was showing that uh, showing people that, that he's a playmaker. He can make plays. I agree 100,000%. All right. On a previous podcast, we did this, and we're going to do it again. And by this, I mean the following. If you could pick a player off another team's roster other than Patrick Mahomes, who <laughs> would it be? And now that the roster is set, the 80-man roster is set, if you could grab somebody off another team's roster, who would that player be? George Kittle. Because in my mind, with the receiver core that the Bengals have, and hopefully the offensive line improvement, George Kittle is a dominant run blocker as well as dominant receiver. He is, he is the blocks like a tackle, can run routes and catch like a receiver. He is the epitome of, of the tight end. And I tell you, the guy, when I, the more I watch of him, it's like, man, this dude, he loves football. I mean, and he, he just gets after it. And when I think back, Dan, the great Bengals teams that I played on in the 70s, Bob Trumpy, Pro Bowl tight end, could block and catch. Getting a little bit later, Dan Ross, Pro Bowl tight end, block and catch. 11 catches in the Super Bowl was shared the record for a long time. Rodney Holman in the, in the 88 Super Bowl team, block and catch, Pro Bowler. All three of them, Pro Bowl caliber tight ends. And, and I think with the receiving core around them and the running game, you know, they help in that running game. To me, if I could pluck George Kittle and put him at the end of the line of scrimmage or flex him and, you know, let him play, you know, three downs every series, I'd be a happy man. George Kittle or Travis Kelsey. Give me either one. Now, this is, this is interesting because the last time we did this, we both chose Indianapolis Colts. You chose Quentin Nelson. 
Yeah. I chose Darius Leonard. We would still happily take either of those Absolutely. guys. Absolutely. Not about it. But now that we're doing it this time around, we are both choosing San Francisco 49ers. You chose George Kittle. I want Nick Bosa. There you go. And here's my thinking as I look at the roster right now. Carlos Dunlap played great in the second half of the season last year, but let's face it, uh, he's approaching the end of his career. Hopefully he's got a few more good years left, but he's not going to play forever. I would love for this team to have the dominant defensive line that they had during their run of five straight playoff appearances. And how did the 49ers turn it around last year from being one of the, the first teams in the NFL draft to being a Super Bowl team? Well, they did a lot of things well, but it all started with that great defensive line. So let's steal Nick Bosa from the 49ers defensive line. Ten sacks as a rookie. Uh 52 hurries as a rookie. We know he can get into Baker Mayfield's head by planting yeah. the flag again. Yeah. So uh, you'll take George Kittle. I'll take Nick Bosa. You know, and, and uh, that's a great call. And look at the 49ers, Dan. All number one draft picks in that defensive line. They had five first-round picks. You know, John Lynch said, hey, it starts up front. I know that's what I have to do to rebuild my defense. Invested five first-rounders. The interesting thing is we, we picked guys from – both sides of the ball to of a team that had a lead in the Super Bowl with seven minutes to play. And I think a big, big reason why is those two guys, you know, on, on either side of that football, they were huge contributors. There's no doubt about it. Let's take all four. Quentin Nelson, really? Darius Leonard, <laughs> George Kittle, and yeah. Nick Bosa. It'd be yeah. a, a heck of an addition to the roster. All right. Time for Ask Lap Questions. These were questions submitted from fans via Twitter. We start with Don. Here's Don's question. How big of an impact will no preseason games have on getting ready for week one, specifically against the Chargers? Yeah, that's, that's a, you know, everybody's automatic reaction is anybody that has a rookie head coach or a rookie quarterback is going to be behind the eight ball. Well, you know, Zach Taylor is not a rookie head coach. He went through some trials and tribulations. There's no question but he's got new members in his coaching staff and he's got a bunch of new players, you know, by free agency and the draft. So you'd like to have, you know, you would, would have liked to have OTAs and a rookie quarterback, obviously. You'd like to have all the preparation, all the steps, all the protocols as such leading up to the 2020 season to be normal, but it's not. But I will say, if I had to pick a rookie quarterback in I don't know how many years to handle this, you know, with poise and, um, you know, just composure, probably be Joe Burrow. And, and again, you know, we keep saying uh, Lamar Jackson uh, is a unanimous MVP last year, second player in NFL history to do that. Joe Burrow's older than Lamar Jackson and at least is mature. You know, you know I mean, what? He, he actually is not. No, I take that back. You're right. He is older than Lamar Jackson. He's not than quite as old as Mahomes. That's correct. right. Right. Like Lamar Jackson, I think, turned 23 like a week before the end of the season or something like that. I mean, but it's, you know, it's, he's, he's had a lot of, uh, a lot of experiences, good and bad. You know, he's handled it all. Um, he's, he's had a heck of a path to, to, to lead him to where he is right now. And I think he can handle it. I, you know, I think, I, I honestly believe that Joe Burrow is not going to be the biggest problem the Cincinnati Bengals have in the early stages of the season now. Do I think that they're going to be as good in week one as they're going to be, you know, if they're, God, 
willing they're able to play 16 games as they will be in November and December? No. You know, I don't think anybody will be without OTAs and, you know, training, the normal training camp and preseason games and everything else. Uh, and, I, and I do believe, you know, teams like New Orleans with a veteran head coach and a veteran quarterback have a huge leg up. I, there's no question about it. Um, but, you know, everybody's got the same issues. Everybody's dealing with the same problems, Dan. You think Tyrod Taylor or Justin Herbert starts for the Chargers in week one? The way when – I, when I listen to people from the Chargers organization, it really sounds like it's going to be Tyrod Taylor. Agreed. And uh, that, that, that would, uh, would not surprise me whatsoever that Tyrod Taylor's the guy. You know, and I, and I could see in the first two to four games of the season, depending on how, how Tyrod Taylor does and how the team does overall, they make a decision accordingly. All right, next question comes from Steven. With the addition of Joe Burrow and the return of A.J. Green and the changes on the offensive line, will we see a vastly different offensive system? You know, I, I think that uh, I think the running game is going to be carried over uh, from the changes that they made last year about halfway through the season. Everybody knows traveling to London, it was like, look, we got we got to change. We can't just do this inside-outside zone. We have to pin and pull people. We have to angle block. We have to gap block. We have to change it up and do a lot of things. And uh, the Bengals were the sixth best rushing team in the league. And Joe Mixon was in the top 10 and, you know, in, in a bunch of categories. So in my mind, they're going to, they're going to stay with that system in the running game and, and try to fine tune it and, and, uh, and, and develop that. Uh, as far as the offense with Joe Burrow at quarterback, Zach said it, Joe has said it. They're kind of melding what Joe feels real comfortable with. Um, there is there. I, I think there's not a huge, uh, gigantic philosophical gap between what he did at LSU and what Zach Taylor wants to do. So I think from that standpoint, you know, terminology and things like that that every rookie has to deal with, unlearn some terminology and relearn new. Uh, but Joe knows there's only so many ways you can line up and 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 do things from a football standpoint. It's just vernacular. It's just terminology. And then he does have things he likes to do and does well. And Zach probably knows them. And, and Joe wants to communicate those. And, and, and I think they'll, they'll come up with a formula for success. I really believe that, you know, that, that those two equations will mesh. What Joe likes to do and does well, Zach has at his disposal on his offense. And he'll just pare it down to what, what fits and what feels comfortable. Next question comes from Nick. Who will be a bigger factor toward the Bengals having success, Joe Mixon or A.J. Green? And how many yards for each if they stay healthy? Man, you know, that's like peanut butter and jelly. They're both good apart, but they're better together. <laughs> and, and they both feed off each other. You know, I mean, you like a peanut butter sandwich. Yeah, jelly sandwich is okay, but peanut butter, PBJ, it's good stuff. So, I think I think Joe Mixon will help AJ Green, and AJ Green will help Joe Mixon. I think it's going to be one of those deals where you know Joe Mixon is going to going to make uh, life easier for AJ because they'll have to you know load the box up a little bit, pay more attention to Joe Mixon. And if they don't, and they start paying attention to AJ Green now, Joe's going to have more running lanes and bigger running lanes in the box. So it's like you know it's it's one hand washing the other. It's like pick your poison. Some weeks it's going to be a heavier box. AJ has to eat. Uh, some weeks when it's not the heavy box, Joe has to eat and, and you know, make people change uh, what they're, what they're went into the game plan with. So um, really, 
I'd love to see them both get 1,500. <laughs> Joe Rush for 15 and A.J. Catch 1,500. But, you know, I, I think they're obviously both very capable of 1,000-yard seasons. I'd almost be disappointed if they don't go for 1,000 each. I'm hoping 12, 1,300. Be nice. Yeah, 1,200-plus nice. tw- each. Yeah, yeah. Nice balanced season. Speaking of PB&J, have you seen that Graders is coming out with peanut butter and jelly ice cream? Ooh, stronger than New Road there. <laughs> As they celebrate their 150th anniversary. All right, next question comes from Mon. Mon asks, how would you handle the Reds starting pitching? And then he says, just kidding. <laughs> his, his real Bengals question is, can Rennell Wren make a second-year leap and help the defensive line? Well, you got to hope, though. Hope so. Hope that's the case. And he's nicked up a little bit right now, but he's got great potential, you know. And uh, now that Josh Tupo has decided to, you know, opt out, and it's interesting, Dan, only three teams in the NFL went through this opt out period without any player opting out the Chargers, the Steelers, and the Falcons. So the Bengals have three games against team two against the Steelers, one against the Chargers, where nobody opted out of their, of their organizations. And, uh, and, and really, with Josh opting out, it, it, it puts a little strain on the defensive tackle position. And, and Ren, you know, you hope that he does step up. And I can speak from experience from, in a lot of players that I know over, you know, many years, a lot of them feel the same way. Year one to year two, the light really starts to go on. You know, year one, you think you know, but you really don't know what you don't know. And then year two, you start to realize, I really didn't know. And now I do feel like I know. <laughs> And, and you start to, uh, you know, the, the graph starts to go up. And it's there's not, not for everybody, but even the players that had great rookie years, very rarely do they have a, you know, a, a great rookie or a solid rookie year and then fall off a cliff. You know, so I, I, I think, you know, Ren had his moments. I mean, he's, he's, he obviously belongs, but there's miles to go before he rests. I mean, there's a lot of development that he can, uh, you know, he can go through. And, and I think in year two, he could be a factor. I mean, the dude is a house. He's, he's definitely a space eater. and ath- He's an athletic, big-body guy. He's got potential. Hopefully, uh, in year two, he really starts to elevate that level of play. What would you think of the possibility of bringing back a 35-year-old Domita Pecco for depth? I would – I love Domita Pecco. Um, but, you know, I, I would – that would be my last resort – I mean, if in my mind, if they bring Domita Pecco back, it's that wasn't their in their first option they had in mind. And I'm not saying it's you know it's I shouldn't say last resort either. I'd have it on my list of options, but it wouldn't be my highest. Uh, and and Domita, he's he's done an unbelievable job of taking care of himself for a lot of years. And the thing about him, the dude's a dinosaur. You can't hurt him. He never he never had surgery. I mean, he's, he's put together. I mean, he's like, he's indestructible in terms of that type of thing. So, I mean, he can, he can still get in there and take up space and, and, and clog things up. But 35 years old, you know, no matter who you are, you're on the back nine. What hole you putting out on is the key. The thing I would like about it, two things. One, as you mentioned, he's so durable. Yeah. I mean, you, know, you know what you're going to get. Yeah. And secondly, he played for cheap last year. So I don't think he'd be looking for huge veteran dollars. I think he would play close to the veteran minimum. And Dan, you, you know, over the years, Marvin Lewis, 
Andrew Worth led the offense. Domitov Pecco led the defense. Those two guys were the unquestioned. When, when it came to, you know, let's, let's put the marbles on the table here, you know, all right, who's, who's going who's gonna to determine things? Who are the guys that set up the practices and got the team going in 2011 during the work stoppage? Andrew Worth offensively, Domitov Pecco defensively. And plenty of players lived at their houses, literally. When they first, you know, young rookies trying to find some, uh, we'll take in. I mean, multiple guys at, at, at the same time were living at their houses. And they both have families. So, you know, unquestioned in terms of the type of person, leader, all the intangibles, Domitov Pecco is top, top shelf across the board in all those areas. All right, two more Ask Lap questions. This one is from Ryan. Give me one player on offense and one player on defense that could surprise people this year? I'm hoping since I mentioned George Kittle, I'm hoping Drew Sample becomes George Kittle-ish. I'm hoping Drew, Sam Drew Sample came out of college as the best blocking tight end in college football and, you know, capable receiver. And then, you know, he played decently and then got hurt. So I'm hoping again from year one to year two, there's a big elevation in terms of understanding everything around you, um, what, what's going to make you successful as a player. I'm hoping that Drew Sample stays healthy first and foremost and took his learning experiences from that rookie year and during the offseason did what he needed to do to make improvements. And I hope he comes back as a complete tight end that Joe Burrow can uh, rely on because tight end is a quarterback's best friend. Normally, you know, unless you are a George Kittle or, you know, a Kelsey or people like that where they're going to get double teamed even more than the wideouts. I mean, if they double team A.J. Green, you know, and, uh, and T. Higgins shows that he's something, you get Tyler Boyd and you had three receivers. Now you have Sample. They can't, they're not going to double everybody. Can Sample win one-on-ones and make himself an available target for Joe Burrow? And then can he block on the edge? Can he seal the edge in the running game? I'm hoping it's Drew Sample offensively, and then I'm hoping it's Jermaine Pratt defensively in that linebacker position. Um, you know, he, he made strides. There's no question about it. But, again, you know, like all the first-year guys, miles to go before he rests. Um, but they, you know, they drafted linebackers. If I'm a linebacker like Pratt and they draft Logan Wilson in the third round and they draft Davis Gaither in the fourth, I'm thinking, uh-oh, that's, that's about where I was drafted. Am I good? Do they think I'm good enough? I mean, I, I'm thinking – I got to bust my butt here. I got to get into training camp. I got to compete. So I think that drafting those linebackers who justify their pick, obviously, hopefully it lit a fire under Jermaine Pratt. And he's saying, man, I can't rest on any laurels. I don't have anything going here. I'm not a shoe in. I got to bust my tail. So hopefully he has a breakout season and surprises people this year as well. All right. Our final ask lap question comes from Maine. Bengals, that's like the state of Maine, M-A-I-N-E. Maybe this is somebody that saw your brother star at the University of Maine in football and basketball. Here comes the question. Lap, imagine you're in your prime and you had to line up across from Geno Atkins or DJ Reader. Who would you choose and why? Oh, man. All right, well, now I'm saying – DJ Reader is in his prime, and Gino is not in his prime prime anymore. So I would say I'm, I'm going to put them both in their prime, though. You know, it's like prime prime. You can't say, all right, DJ Reader now, today, 
and Geno Adkins today, that's, they're at different stages of their career. DJ Reader is going to be a snap eater. Geno Adkins, if he's a snap eater, we're in trouble. I mean, they, they got to monitor his snaps. So they're, they're at different stages of their career. There's no question about it. But when they're both in their prime, I love DJ Reader. I love watching how he pursues and hustles. And Sam Hubbard, DJ Reader. I'm telling you, Dan, Tim Crumry, when he came to the Bengals, practice sucked. I was going against Timmy every day. I'm, I'm 30 years old. I'm eight years in the league. He's playing every snap like it's Super Bowl. And I'm like, Tim, man, I'm 30. I can't play a 1,000 games. I can't every Wednesday, Thursday. I can't. I mean, man. But you know what? He made me better. And, and guys that play like that, I'm watching the tape of practice, and it's like, we're, we're in a game. We're actually going that, that hard, that lot. DJ Reader has that type of uh, reputation. Where, and Sam does, obviously. We've seen it. Sam goes hard. They're going to pursue every snap. They're gonna, but Gino in his prime, Dan, whoo, man, I would not ask for that. I would not ask for Gino. Guys that have that low center of gravity and can bench press the world, oh, man, it is literally like trying to block a bowling ball, a cannonball. I mean, low center of gravity, power. Oh, my gosh, man. And the, it's, it's a nightmare just trying to think about it. Geno Atkins in his prime was unbelievably effective and couldn't single block the guy. As we both know, Geno Atkins doesn't say much, particularly to members of the media. But if I pass this along to him, it actually might get a response. <laughs> I'll tell you, Geno Stud, capital S, capital T, capital U, capital D, Stud. Geno Atkins, player. All right, that concludes uh, this week's chat for the podcast. Let's pass some COVID-19 tests and go watch practice sometime soon. I'm with you, Coach. Sounds like a plan. My thanks to this week's guests, and that's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.